This is Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanam. And this is Jamal Dajani. Jamal, we got a great show. There's a lot to cover today. There's a lot of domestic and international issues for us to address. But I think first and foremost on the top of your mind and my mind is this outrageous and, in my humble opinion, absolutely racist decision basically abandon the protection that the dreamers in the United States, 800,000 Latinos in the United States, had, you know, brought here by their parents, working, going to school, being, you know, being productive citizens here in the United States, and basically, you know, being cast aside. And this inhumane decision made uh, on the part of President Trump to um, basically say he was not going to renew the executive order. It's pretty outrageous. It is outrageous. It's also, I think it's inhumane, which is more important than anything else. The Trump administration's move to rescind the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. This is what DACA uh, many people have been hearing this uh, name, DACA. That's what it stands for. And it has created now an uncertain future for uh, the 800,000-plus young unauthorized immigrants who had been granted protection from deportation and permission to work legally in the United States. A six-month delay provides a chance for Congress to save the 2012 program. But if we're going to debate uh, just the merits of DACA, people should know what we're talking about. And because there uh, has been uh, misinformation, a lot of of misinformation, misinformation and many myths created around, uh, you know, this whole debate. Uh, Let's start uh, because I, I put some notes down reading about all these different myths that especially you you hear about them or yeah. uh, on Fox News and other outlets advocating or cheering, basically. No, the, cheering. The you have the attorney general giving this announcement because the Trump doesn't have the, uh, the courage. He's such a coward. Didn't have the courage to make the announcement himself. He sent uh, Jeff Sessions, who announced this cruel and inhumane decision, with, with it looked like he was happy and yeah. pleased to see yeah. that Trump had sided with, uh, you know, that side of the argument from his administration. Well, that's right. So let's go by some of these myths. Okay. So myth number one, DACA incentivized an increase in illegal immigration. That's what they keep telling you. House Judiciary Committee Chairman, in fact, Bob Goodlatte, Uh, Republican from Virginia is uh, among those who support ending DACA because it has, and I'm uh, using his quote, encouraged more illegal immigration and contributed to the surge of unaccompanied minors and families seeking to enter the United States illegally. So this is a statement by a uh, House Judiciary Committee Chairman, uh, Bob Goodlatte. Statements like, like, like this really betray a misunderstanding of who is eligible for deportation relief under the program, under, under DACA. So DACA applies only to immigrants who entered before their 16th uh, birthdays right, right. and who have lived in the country continuously since at least June 15 uh, of 2007. Right. So that's more than a decade uh, ago. 
no one entering now can apply. So when they say this, it encourages like they're speaking in the present tense. It's not that true. That you have this program. More uh, undocumented uh, immigrants are coming to this country, bringing their minor children. Uh, they are going to uh, receive, you know, the benefits of DACA. That's not true. Right. This has ended over 10 years ago. So that's that's, right. that's really, this is really a total BS. It's misinformation. It's deceiving the public, and it's just spreading fear. You know, of course, it's spreading fear that you have, uh, you know. Uh, all these people standing in line to come to the United States. Bringing, bring, bringing your children. Bringing the kids. So myth number two, uh, you hear that a lot. DACA has taken jobs from Americans. That's exactly what Jeff Sessions said. He said that they've been coming and taking jobs from Americans. And I'll give you the quote. I'll help oh, you out on this Oh, this is Jeff Sessions. Okay, what did he say? So, so, so th you're right. You're absolutely right. That's, that actually has been disseminated and marketed by Jeff Sessions. He said, denied jobs to hundreds, that DACA denied jobs to hundreds of thousands of Americans by allowing those same jobs to go to illegal aliens. So that, that's really the core of his, uh, of his argument. Uh, you know, saying why we should end DACA. This myth even has a name in economics, the lump of labor fallacy. Right. You know, it, suppose, it supposes that the number of jobs in the economy is fixed and that any increase in worker results in an in unemployment. Yet this notion is easily disproved. From of 1970 course. to this year, to 2017, the U.S. labor force doubled. Rather than ending up with a 50% unemployment rate, U.S. employment doubled. Well, yeah. and, so and how and they're taking the I jobs. know, and, and the obvious reality is that uh, there are more jobs than there can be filled right now in the United States. So it it's, it's just defies reality, Jamal, to say that this took jobs, that somehow there are, quote, Americans unable to work because it, of the dreamers. It also plays on the fear-mongering exactly. about the undocumented immigrants. I mean, that's why, you know, cities like San Francisco uh, became a sanctuary city. And, of course, we know the argument now under the Trump ad administration ending sanctuary cities or defunding them uh, federally. But also this, you know, says the same thing, that you have these young, many of these, you know, we should say many of those uh, young uh, undocumented immigrants came to this country, some of them as as uh, old as uh, a two months right. baby. Right. Others, they, they came here, you know, they don't speak except English. They don't speak, they came from Latin America, they don't speak Spanish. They've never been to their country of origin. They don't have a passport to that country of they origin. They don't have a passport it's to that country. It's not as if they can just go there. They grew up, they've, they've been, you know, they've lived most of their life right here in the United States. And uh, so that's why I say this is not just about the legal aspect. It's also about uh, the humanity of the United States. Can I throw in a, a, another myth real quick? Yeah. That's related to the second myth. One of the myths that's being perpetrated is that the DACA, the, dream, the Dreamers, are living off of social uh, safety nets, mm -hmm. social security, food stamps, things like that. The reality is 95% of the Dreamers 
of DACA recipients, over 95%, are currently working in school or gainfully employed. You know, they're gainfully employed in school or both. That's 95% of this pool of 800,000 people. There's no other group in the United States, Jamal, that has that high of an employment rate. And that actually falls under myth number Number three, (laughs) which is repealing DACA would benefit taxpayers. It's a joke. Because that's the myth. Sessions also argued, that's Jeff Sessions, he also argued that ending DACA, and I'm quoting, protects taxpayers. But the opposite is true. According to the National Academy of Science, first-generation immigrants who enter the United States as children, including all DACA recipients, pay on average more in taxes over their lifetimes than they receive in benefits, regardless of their education level. DACA recipients end up contributing more than average because they are not eligible for any federal means-tested welfare, cash assistance, food stamps, social security, health care tax credits, or anything else. Nothing. So they pay taxes, they get nothing in return. Here's a secret, a dirty little secret, Jamal. We know that Social Security and Medicare is underfunded, but guess who's actually funding the program? It's these dreamers because they... And also many, by the way, even the adults. Many undocumented. I mean... They, they, they are paying into the system that is financially, you know, questionable in terms of its longevity. And they are unable, by law, to receive any benefit from Social Security or Medicare. So Jeff Sessions saying this thing is it's... That's why it's, what, it's all based on lies, really. It, it's and a complete fabrication. And, 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 and following up on what you've said about their education... 36% of DACA recipients who are older than 25 have a bachelor's degree, and an, an additional 32% are pursuing a bachelor's degree. The NAS finds that among recent immigrants who entered as children, those with a high school degree are positive to the government to the tune of $60,000 to $153,000 in net present value meaning it's like each immigrant cutting a check for that amount at the door. For those, for those with a uh, bachelor's degree, it's net positive of 167, I mean 160,000 to $316,000. Wow. wow. So each DACA permit canceled is like burning tens of thousands of dollars in Washington. Uh, no one knows, you see, these things, that's why I wanted to put it into, into the myth you know, debunking these myths. So let's move to myth number four. Oh, there's a fourth one. Okay. Okay. What's the fourth? DACA repeal protects communities from criminals. (laughs) That falls back into the criminalization of immigrants, really, that uh, we keep hearing hearing about, they keep quoting one uh, incident in L.A. And uh, one in San Francisco. And one in San Francisco. They sherry pick. You know, like as if every community is uh, free and clear from its criminals, you know. But, you know, so, so DACA repealed, uh, and, and again, this is coming from Session, uh, the Attorney General further claimed, saves lives and protects communities. This is, this is his own words. He implied that DACA put our nation at risk of crime. But DACA participants are not criminals. Unauthorized immigrants, the applicant 
tool for DACA are much less likely to end up in prison, indicating lower, lower levels of, of criminality. Absolutely. More important to participate, uh, to participate in DACA, applicants must pass a background check. So those uh, uh, young men and young women who participate in DACA went and got fingerprinted. That's so right. So they had to go through a background check. They have to live here without committing a serious offense, so they're tracked. If they are arrested, DACA can be taken away even without a, you know, a notification or, or, or even a conviction. Right. So if they get arrested, they are Im- immediately fed into the uh, system and they're identified and they lose their uh, DACA status. Which is a real tragedy among many, Jamal, you know, because uh, when Barack Obama had this policy come out, you know, they they required all of this personal identifying information, fingerprints, uh, background check, things like that. And now, unfortunately, under this administration, that information, that private confidential information, and, and this is what Je- Jeff Sessions said in the Justice Department yesterday, even though it's protected, they reserve the right to use that information mm-hmm. to round up, to find, and to deport a dreamer if they so desire. In fact, the Justice Department, or the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, they issued in their statement, Jamal, they said something so cruel. They said dreamers need to get their papers in order and prepare for self-deportation. Self-deportation, you're right. Unbelievable. That's what they said. And since you like numbers, Jess, and facts, not, uh, you know, myths, only 2,139 out of almost 800,000 DACA recipients have lost their permits because of public uh, safety concerns, like uh, an offense or a criminal record. That's just a quarter of 1% of, of the total uh, number. Four times as many U.S.-born Americans are in prison. About 35 times as many Americans have ended up behind bars at some point before the age of 34. So this whole myth about safety... It's a joke. And it, it, it's really... It, 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 we've inherited this myth not now since DACA has is, is been part of the debate, but it's always been uh, this whole misinformation about immigrants in general but let's, coming let, to this country right. that they pose a so danger to Americans. Exactly, and re- that, that's a really great analysis, Jamal, but let's, let's really be honest. What is this about? It's, 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 it's flat-out racism. It's anti-immigrant, anti-people of color, anti-Latino, anti-Arab, anti-Muslim, anti-anything other than what Jeff Sessions and the, uh, and the, and the Bannon wing of the Republican Party uh, believe this country should look like. And that's really what it's about. In fact, uh, Bannon said something even more outrageous. He, he actually said this, and you, I hope you're sitting down for this. He was interviewed and said that the reason that the Catholic Church uh, is against DACA because they're afraid, they believe that the flux of uh, immigrants is actually supporting financially the Catholic Church. So he, I mean, he said the Catholic Church this, financially. Have we heard, but, did yeah. we hear a statement from the Pope? No. Or anyone from the Catholic Church, or he just like invents things. He, as, he, he invents as he things. goes along. No, but this is something we've been talking about, you know, for 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 many months now. This is part of the general uh, racist 
xenophobic, anti, you know, community of color. Uh, uh, It's not even just an attitude. Actions, legal actions and uh, policies that are being initiated by this administration. And I don't know. It probably made you just as sick as it made me to hear the president of the United States say, I have a big heart when he's talking about cutting off uh, DACA. So that sounds like the most uh, incredulous thing. I love the dreamers, he says. Well, I don't know what kind of love Donald Trump is talking about, but it kind of sounds like an abusive form of love. I love these people, so I'm just going to get rid of them. I'm going to actually create this, uh, take away this law that protects people and actually use the instruments of the state, Homeland Security, Department of Justice, to actually get them to, to leave. This is devastating, Jamal, because he actually thinks... Congress will pass a bill. Do you think that Congress is going to pass a bill in six months? I don't think so. I don't. I don't think Congress is going to pass a bill, and I. I don't think actually, Congress will approve the deportation. I think this issue is not as easy as they think it is. No. And that this is their opportunity. And I have to say, you know, before we move on to another topic. Uh, even DACA, you know, is cruel. This whole decision really is cruel and counterproductive. I just want to end also because I know DACA started under uh, Barack Obama, and I don't want to give Barack Obama a pass because no, he doesn't deserve a pass. More immigrants were forcibly removed from the United States under Obama than any other president in. History. History. That's right. More than 2.8 million undocumented immigrants have been deported over the last eight years. And also, even though Barack Obama came with this whole program, he had this opportunity in his first term when he when Democrats controlled both. To do immigration reform. And he didn't. He didn't. He let that slip. And that's why we are in this position now. And that's why, Jamal, that uh, if I were a dreamer, uh, I would be terrified. I would be, uh, I, I would be very scared. I would be very worried. To for a dreamer, to put their faith in the U.S. Congress at this time to do the right thing, it must be terrifying for them. I'm sure we're going to follow this story. Uh, we're going to take a, a really short musical break, and when we come back, lots more to discuss. Stay tuned. This is Arab Talk on KPOO. We're in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Short musical break. But Jamal, there's a few more things on DACA that, that, uh, you know, that we, should, you know, we should do and, and kind of help, help some of the dreamers with because you know, even if Congress doesn't act, even if the president you know, has another moral failure of leadership and he's had, you know, has multiple moral failures of leadership on a weekly, if not daily basis. There are things that dreamers can do to protect themselves. Yeah, there are a few things, you know, five things, for example, for our listeners to know who are on the DACA program, uh, you know, that aside from this uh, uh, misinformation, and they should know, and of course, they should be in touch with uh, uh, the uh, immigration lawyer uh, or any uh, organization that uh, helps immigrants. Uh, 
uh, you know, there is, uh, for example, United We Dream, uh, and this is a right. was put uh, by them so they can get in touch with United We Dream at one eight four four three six three one or or one four two three. I, th- I think, yeah, the phone number is one eight four four three six three one four two three. But a few things they should know. For, uh, for example, your DACA is valid until its expiration date. So DACA and work permits uh, employ or employment authorization documents will remain valid until its expiration date. So that to determine when your DACA and work permit expires, look at, at your I-795 approval notice and the, uh, and the bottom of your employment authorization document, the EAD. That's number one. Uh, number two, no new DACA applicants will be accepted. The United States Citizenship and Immigration Services is no longer, uh, no longer will accept or process first-time applications after September 5th of 2017. Well, that was two days ago. Three, DACA uh, issuances and work permits expiring between now and March 5th of 2018 must be submitted for renewal by October 5th of this year. So if you have a permit that will expire between now and March 5th of 2018, you must apply for a two-year renewal of your DACA by October 5th of 2017. For advanced parole to travel abroad is no longer available. So you can't leave the country. So the Department of Homeland Security will no longer grant DACA recipients permission to travel abroad through advanced parole. Any pending applications for advanced parole will not be processed and the Department of Homeland Security will refund any associated fees. And the last last item, uh, you know, that like I said earlier, uh, you should try to connect with some organizations like... Uh, Uh, this particular organization, United We Dream, to find out more about your rights and what you can do in the meantime. So, Jamal, that's that's a great list. Uh, I have a question for you. What does it mean to self-deport? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, what, what, is I that, know, what does that I mean? Know, I know self-deport. I, I know. What does that mean? Probably. And no one what is doing you, that. It, 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 you don't have a passport. You can't travel. You just said that uh, dreamers are not allowed to tra- you know, apply to travel. They, most of them don't have a passport to go anywhere. What are they going to do? What, what does self-deport mean? What are they going to do, Jamal? It's a scare tactic. It's, it's, really, it's a really message of uh, desperation. And intimidation. And like intimidation. So people feel uh, that they have no options and they should leave the country. It's spreading fear. But also, most importantly, I think, it's not about spreading fear amongst the immigrants per se, but it's really uh, inciting against them because many of the uh, hate mongers now are getting or receiving a message that these these are, uh, I guess, uh, insecure, Uh, immigrants, no one is going to protect them. They have nowhere to go to, and they'll start preying on them. That's right. And that's that's the message. That's, that's actually right. that's, that's actually right. the scariest part about this. I I actually think that Jeff Sessions should self-deport himself. To where? I don't know. 
<laughs> well, on this on on this final talk, we have to switch switch gears. We have switch a lot gears. to talk about. You're, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is eighty nine point five FM. Uh, just uh, to remind our listeners to stay here. Uh, I wanna I wanna kind of uh, bring it to across across the ocean. Uh, just which to, uh, which ocean? To a new topic. Actually, a couple of uh, topics that we haven't discussed uh, recently. But something that's really troubling and has been troubling uh, to me personally as a journalist and also as a human rights activist. Uh, and this is this concerns the Palestinian Palestinian Authority uh, in uh, Ramallah. Uh, so the Palestinian Security Forces uh, has recently arrested human rights defender and well-known Palestinian activist, activist Isa Amro. Oh, that's right. He got arrested. In, uh, they arrested him in the West Bank city of Hebron on Monday. Yeah, terrible. This, this past Monday. The, arre- the arrest was uh, reportedly related to a Facebook post published by Amro in which he criticized the Palestinian Authority for arresting a journalist a day earlier. So here you have a human rights activist, you know, exercises his... Uh, his right to speak. His right to speak, criticizing the government for arresting... A, a journalist. journalist. Which is a terrible thing uh, happening there. So uh, the Palestinian Authority's President Mahmoud Abbas recently signed an electronic crimes decree. Electronic Crimes Decree. Yes. What does that mean? Effectively curtailing the little free speech that existed for Palestinians. On on social media, yeah. Under Palestinian law. Right. And under Israeli law, and which was believed to target online dissent against the PA, particularly on social media. The new law was roundly criticized by rights groups in Palestine and around the world. Israel, as you know, regularly arrests Palestinians for posts on social media. So we have a very complex issue. We have the Palestinians living, whether in the West Bank and, of course, in Jerusalem and other places. They've been suffering from Israeli oppression and and not just the physical aspect of it, but also people uh, have been arrested uh, for uh, saying something critical of Israel. They've been arrested for posting things on Facebook or, or on Twitter. And now at the same time, they are facing a, a arrest by, by, the, Palestinian by the Palestinian Authority. Th- this is a new low, Jamal. I mean... This is really bad. With, I mean, this is basically... With friends like this... Who needs enemies? Who needs enemies? But this exactly. is something we've been saying for such a long time. I mean, the Palestinian Authority, especially their security apparatus, has just been doing the bidding of the Israeli security apparatus. We know that. This is just an extension of the security agreement that the Palestinians and the uh, Palestinian Authority and the Israelis have had. And this is taking it to a, an outrageous level because you're right. The little autonomy to speak freely for Palestinians has, has really only happened on the social media sites, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or the the uh, the Arab equivalents of those social media platforms, and for the PA to do this is a is a new low in my mind. Well, and and the the situation you know uh, there, and this is uh, just uh, we're talking about this one case 
Of course, uh, last month, Palestinian security forces arrested a large number of journalists in what appeared to be a campaign targeting members of the press working for outlets affiliated with political rivals of Fatah, uh, Mahmoud Abbas's party. So if you are affiliated with Hamas or with the affiliated with any, any organization critical of the government, uh, you get arrested there. But in this particular case, uh, the case of, and that's why it's very important for me to talk about this and make sure that people make some noise over this, the Palestinian security forces are not the only ones targeting Amro for his defiant politics and activism. Right. I, I have never met him, and as you know, I've spent an entire year, right. last year, working in Ramallah. In Ramallah and, and the area and making sure that journalists especially were, you know, protected. were protected and we we, uh, we we talked about some of the journalists, Palestinian journalists who went on hunger strike in Israeli jails uh, and I was engaged in a couple of cases when I was there. But now, you know, Amro, by the way, is also currently on trial in an Israeli military court where almost right. all of the 18 charges are related to his political activity and non-violent, I have to emphasize, non-violent action. Under Israeli military law, there is no legal avenue for Palestinians to, to protest or demonstrate politically. Amro's activism, much of which in, uh, is the basis of his current charges, has been, uh, by the way, you can read about it, reported in the media, you could just Google his name. And he has a long, long uh, history of basically uh, documenting human rights abuses in the West Bank. That's right. So that's why this is what makes it a very, very important uh, situation. That, And I know that uh, uh, several organizations uh, have been involved to try uh, to secure his release. Uh, and uh, I just want to make sure that our listeners you know, make some noise. Absolutely. Contact the Palestinian Authority, contact human rights organization. Uh, you know, this is uh, the arrest of a human rights activist. He's the head, by the way, of an organization called Youth Against Settlements. He was uh, right. arrested for criticizing the PA in a Facebook post. Uh, he's also facing charges in Israeli military court for his political activism. And he uh, has been recognized by the EU and the UN as a human rights defender. That's right. And he has a long, amazing history of doing all of this within a nonviolent uh, context. His weapon, Jamal, has been words. That, that's the tragedy here. Well, I mean, I see the tragedy also is being a Palestinian living that, in the West Bank, and now you are facing harassment, you're facing oppression by the Palestinian government that's supposed to represent you, and by the occupation, the Israeli government. It's tragic. It's really tragic. And we cannot remain silent about this. And if we're going to criticize Israel for its uh, uh, oppression and occupation and apartheid policies, we will criticize the Palestinian Authority for 100%. its in inhumane action and illegal action 
And this type of action should stop immediately. And it will backfire, Jamal. That's the thing. That's the thing we know about. And it is. It it is. It will backfire. Stupid. It's stupid. It's ignorant and it it's is ignorant stupid. and stupid, and it will backfire. But it uh, it's it says something, and maybe you can comment on this. Once the Palestinian Authority, which which has a ton of problems already, starts to worry about people speaking their mind, that really points to how weak they must feel right now in in light of, you know, everything that's going on right now, that they can't handle social media posts. Well, and also it weakens the argument of criticizing Israel and the right. lack of its democracy and the oppression and the apartheid when you are enforcing similar if not worse laws and, yeah, yeah. and worse laws than this by arresting your own people for basically being vocal. Well, the, yeah, and you know that kind of. Uh, I don't know if we're going to go to another topic, but this we are we, we are because we are going to go actually to we're going to stay in the same area we're going to stay in Palestine on the topic of Palestine and Israel right but uh, let's take a short musical yeah, break we'll, and we'll then take when a we short come musical back, break and when we when we come back and I'm going to give you the the title uh, just the title is Israeli right wing party wants to pay Palestinians to leave Israel well that'll be very interesting the title that I have is Bibi Netanyahu sailing on a submarine that is going to sink very quickly. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. All right, welcome back to Arab Talk on KPOO in San Francisco 89.5 FM. Now, Jamal. The Israeli occupiers and oppressors are very creative, as you know, in terms of trying to de-Palestinianize historic Palestine. They've tried many forms of ethnic cleansing, you know, from 1948 to 1967, 1982, all sorts of techniques, um, physical, brutal, all sorts. But this seems like they're adding another element to their ethnic cleansing uh, routine. Yeah, try to do anything and everything to get rid of the Palestinians. So a right-wing Israeli party will launch a new campaign promoting a plan to pay Palestinians to leave the West Bank and move to an Arab country. Uh, this party is called the National Union Tkuma Party, which has run for the Knesset on the Habayt al-Yahudi uh, slate. So that's, uh, if you remember, by the uh, Yahudi slave, yeah. uh, will be funding, uh, and they they have an internet campaign to promote a diplomatic plan because they think <laughs> you know the ethnic cleansing, the killing, the uh, uh, building of walls, building wall, settlements, bombing, not working. So now they say this is their diplomatic plan proposed uh, by their leader, uh, Bislal Smotrich. Uh, he's a lawmaker from that party, which includes compensation paid to Palestinians who agree to move. So Mr. Smotrich, I don't know where he's, his name doesn't sound like he's from the region. <laughs> no, so I, I, I have a suggestion that he should move to wherever to he came, from. He came yeah, from. Is yeah. it uh, Russia? Is it Brooklyn? Is it uh, Lithuania? Whatever. But anyway, Mr. Smotrich 
who has worked on the plan for a considerable time. Two he, weeks. He had this brain, uh, I don't want to say. Brain fart. Uh, I can say on a, of a plan. Said it does not involve the force transfer. Oh, I'm glad. Well, aren't we lucky, we should say, the expression that he's not planning to use force because no. they've been using force, force for, for seven, 70 years. So, so he says that, uh, you know, he's willing to pay money. How much? To entice Palestinians to immigrate abroad. I will help them, and I'm quoting, fairly and with full monetary compensation and not by force. It will be cheaper than the wars and military operations every few years. So he's trying also to save some money for the state of Israel, uh, you know, from using its weapons of mass destruction and getting rid of the Palestinians. So now he wants to buy them off. It, 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 it seems like occupiers are getting very creative, yeah. Jamal. So let me, let me tell you all about his plan. So as part of his plan, Smotrich is proposing that the Palestinian Authority be dismantled. I think many Palestinians want uh, to object to that. I, I, I won't object that to that. That Israeli sovereignty be applied throughout the West Bank and that the Jewish population of the region be doubled. The goal would ultimately be, this is his own words, to erase the paradigm of an independent Palestinian state from public consciousness and from reality. Okay, at least he's honest about it. It is not despair that drives terrorism, Smotrich said, but rather hope, the main expression, which, which of, uh, of course is the Palestinian state. I intend to eliminate this. According to Smotrich's plan, the Palestinians of the West Bank would be granted citizenship if they forgo their national aspirations in Israel. So, whatever left, I mean, Palestinians in 1948, uh, uh, Palestine, they have Israeli citizenship, but it's not, it's like second. It's not a full second, citizenship. Yeah, not, you know, they can have citizen, citizenship, but they would also have the right, they would also have the right to vote for the Knesset, uh, Knesset representatives only if they serve in the Israeli army. And that has been the litmus test, actually, for Palestinians living in 1948 That's territories. Right. The, only the Druze and, and some of the Bedouins and some other groups have been serving in the Israeli army. That's right. Uh, you know, so he wants them to serve in the Israeli army, then you can get your citizenship. Otherwise, he is willing to give about 100,000 shekels. You know what 100,000 shekels equal? It's about 20, 28,000 I was going to say 30 grand, yeah. To get rid of you, to get rid of people there. So, a meeting of the Tacoma National Union Party Conference will be convened next week on Tuesday to consider whether to adopt the plan as official party policy. I, I'm speechless, Jamal. I'm just trying to imagine somebody in the United States saying, we're going to pay brown people and immigrants and indigenous people here Something, some indigenous community here, we're going to pay you to forego your attachment and connection to your own land because we want to erase you from our memory and from the memory of you being here and send you somewhere else. That's, that's essentially what he's saying. And he's saying it publicly without shame. Well, I'd rather hear about it publicly. 
and he's an official party, and now they're just debating whether this is going to be... Official. Uh, not only official, but part of their platform. I mean, okay. This is a party. Uh, you know, I, I want to also be fair that this is a fringe of, supposedly of, uh, Habayt HaYahudi, which is no longer a fringe party. It's not a fringe party. But but he he's, I guess, uh, they're splintering from the Habayt HaYahudi, and adopting this idea of basically annexing the ent- entire Palestine, making it part of the state of Israel, and getting rid of as many people as possible by 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 well, here, here, buying their tickets. To, but here's to the thing: abroad. that's essentially the Israeli plan, anyways. I mean that that is the plan. That's what's happening in Jerusalem now. Slowly, day by day, house by house, the Israelis are forcing Palestinians out. They're not paying them to leave as as this group wants to do, but we see this happening on a daily basis. This is the Israeli plan. This is just, I guess, a way to package it to make it sound what what what's the what's the motivation? Oh, he wants to do what did he say? A diplomatic solution. A diplomatic solution. Okay, to ethnic cleansing. So this is a diplomatic solution to ethnically cleanse Palestine. My question actually which uh, this article uh, that I was quoting from, uh, which appeared actually in in the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, this is how I found out about it, did not discuss a very important component of this plan. Which is? The money. Where did the money come from? This This is really important because, okay, you know, how many people you have in the West Bank? At least two and a half two point, million. Two point eight million. To, to, yeah. to even even with this uh, uh, figure of thirty thousand dollars, that's a lot of money. That's billions and billions you know, of dollars. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Even with that little figure, assuming he wants to get rid of everyone. And my question: They must have a down payment somewhere. A down payment that came from somewhere, like a Sheldon Adelson. I was just going to say Sheldon Adelson. Uh, yeah, Haim Saban. Right. Uh, I know Jared Kushner. Th- the source could Maybe. not have been from Israel, but it's from abroad. Right. And that's the something. This is the thing that keeps happening time and time again. Even the encouragement and the planning and the execution of building the settlements is financed by American and Australian and British billionaires. That's right. You know, we know that. We have their names. And, and this is, this is I don't know about the legality of, of, of having people engaged in the active ethnic cleansing of indigenous people, but it is happening every day. Anyway, uh, I, I would say thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. I have a better idea. Why don't you, all members of the party, move back to Brooklyn, Russia, the Ukraine, Poland, and where you came from. Problem solved. Solved. 100%. Well, on a somewhat uh, different topic but the same plane, Jamal, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, but uh, it looks like Bibi Netanyahu, who, by the way, just authorized the bombing of a... uh, alleged chemical weapons plant in Syria, which we may not have time to discuss today. Benjamin Netanyahu's wife looks like she's going to get indicted for corruption. And there's this whole scandal, as you know, uh, the Israelis are confronting 
And some people have said that it has to do with German submarines and kickbacks. And, and guess what? It has to do with an American billionaire who is giving Netanyahu lavish gifts and money and shopping excursions for his wife, another American billionaire, that there's a good chance that his wife is going to get indicted. And Netanyahu might be uh, on get indicted too. Well, I would agree with you as far as uh, him getting indicted. He has proven to be, I guess, the Teflon prime minister. He's done much better than his predecessors. But you're right. Uh, maybe Benjamin Netanyahu is not a suspect yet in the so-called submarine affair. This is what the Israeli me media has been referring to it. Uh, it's a big corruption scandal rocking Israel. David Sharan, who was uh, Mr. Netanyahu's chief of staff from 2014 to 2016, was arrested That's on right. Sunday in connection with the case, along with a former Navy chief and a former commander of uh, the elite naval commandos. On Monday, a former legislator and minister and an advisor to the current Minister of Energy was also arrested. And so this is, this is how big this scandal is. Yeah, and I think the, the, the circle around Netanyahu or it's a noose, I don't know, is going to get tighter and tighter and tighter. And, you know, if they go after Netanyahu's wife, they might, they might be using that as a bargaining chip, but whatever. In the midst of all of the ethnic cleansing and settlement growth, we find that the Israeli government is, is kind of going through its own uh, uh, interesting kind of corruption scandal. But it seems like every prime minister goes through the same thing goes through some kind of corruption scandal. Well, well, Netanyahu is also a suspect in two other criminal, criminal investigations that involve, involve suspected bribery, fraud, and uh, breach of trust. Uh, since another former chief of staff, uh, Ari Harrow, turned state's witness right, against in those him. cases, speculation has intensified about the durability of Mr. Netanyahu's political career. I am kind of like, suspicious that if they're going to nail him this time or not we'll see uh, but uh, this this you're right this is a, uh, a very serious uh, okay uh, we'll, I guess we'll uh, story going on there we'll follow one last point before we sign oh did you have because I have something yeah I want, I want to actually quickly because we have very few minutes sure to talk about this which is really uh, it doesn't seem that you can win against mother nature because we are witnessing just the this year the horrific hurricane whatever some referring to them as or this latest one hurricane irma a nuclear uh, hurricane and before it harvey in texas devastating and then there is a third one on the way but it's a reminder for those denials of global warming that this is not a joke. No, it's not a joke. And if you live in Houston and if you live in Florida, I don't see anybody laughing. Although Rush Limbaugh did say that the media, was, this was a conspiracy of the left to create Hurricane Irma. He actually said it was a 
a left-wing conspiracy. Is he still taking his uh, drugs? I don't know if he's taking his Prozac. But the last thing I did want to just mention, because we didn't have time to talk about it, is that the... But I also want to say to yeah. our listeners, hopefully those who are listening to us online, to stay be, safe. Be and, careful. And, and listen to the warnings and not to play, you know, don't don't stay. If, you, if they order you to evacuate... Leave. 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 Final thought. I listened to the uh, press conference with the Emir of Kuwait and the President of the United States. I just wanted to express my utter nauseating response <laughs> to hear Donald Trump speak about Kuwait and the Emir of Kuwait. This is the 27th anniversary of the liberation of Kuwait from Saddam Hussein. He brought that up. Mm-hmm. And the flower the flowery language that was used today makes me think that secretly Donald Trump wants to be an emir, not a president, but he, he, he wa- he'd rather be an emir of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a monarchy rather than be the president of the United States. The language he was using was pretty nauseating, to be honest, and maybe we'll cover this uh, at another time. Well, he, he, he said also that he wants to take a stab uh, at uh, mediating uh, the personally, conflict between personally mediate Saudi Arabia to uh, with Qatar to Qatar, but uh, quickly also uh, we don't have time. Recently, they've uh, unfurled. I guess uh, they had to make that public. All the gifts that uh, talking about Trump loving this lavish life and and wants wanting to be a king or an emperor. But all the gifts he received from Saudi Arabia, from tiger fur, robes, to chiffon, dresses, dozens and dozens of gifts, gold, sword, etc. Maybe we'll go, we'll go through that list uh, next time you've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM. We will see you next week.